Welcome. We are the forgotten survivors of the sex industry. We are the spouses, partners, and exes of porn and or sex addicts. And together, we are the Butterfly Nation. I'm Allison. And I'm Sandy. And we are the coaches of the Butterfly Nation. Today, we're going to be talking about what it was like when we found out that our exes were porn and sex addicts. So that's basically the overriding theme of our show. We are both ex-partners of porn and sex addicts. We've been to the deepest depths of trauma ourselves, and we are now both certified coaches in the Mindful Habit System, which is a system of recovery from porn and sex addiction. And we both are specialized in partners because, of course, that is our own experience. So we wanted to start this episode out with something special because we got an email from a listener. It was so, so powerful. It was so powerful. powerful. And we wanted to share it with you. So we're going to call the listener Melanie, and I'm going to read you this email. This was an absolutely fabulous listen. I'm convinced my ex had a sex addiction. It all makes sense now. Sharing your personal experiences helped me see that. As I started to listen, I was thinking, yep, he did that. Yep, he did that too. As you were bravely sharing your own experiences, I actually found myself responding out loud, yes, oh my God, exactly. Some of the signs mentioned were never answering his phone or a text, mood swings and unpredicted snapping, phoning me at work every day to know what time I was leaving, getting up in the middle of the night. He didn't have sexual type humor, but loved to follow the news, especially sexual crimes. He never left his phone out of his sight, bathroom breaks and sleeping included. And the ringer was always off, never paid with debit or credit, always that untraceable wad of cash. Gaslighting to the point I thought I was crazy. He said he hadn't orgasmed in over a year and that ejaculation is not an orgasm. Apparently, you know nothing about sex. So what is my point? After all, he is my ex now. I stayed until I couldn't take it. I bought his ridiculous excuses, questioned myself and my judgment. I made myself crazy trying to fix all of those horrible accusations he made and owned them. It's been five years, and I still carry some of that stuff. Wow, this made me question that baggage. It turns out that most of that baggage is instead garbage. Thank you, ladies. I'm sitting here in shock. First, I want to thank you for reaching out and letting us know this. That is why we're here. We want everyone that's experiencing this to know that they're not alone. And it's so great to hear other people's stories And to hear the release that she had from holding all of that, as she called it, garbage, which is a perfect word to use for it, for all of those years, this can damage us when we don't even know it's happened. I I would say, Sandy, what do you think? I think it's more damaging if you don't know what's going on than it is if you do. What do you think? Well, it ends up absolutely, I believe so as well, Um, because knowledge is power. And anything that we can learn and know is power. And I think, well, it's very traumatizing. It's extremely, extremely devastating. It's better to know that so we know how to protect ourselves That's from right. all kinds of, of things. Um, we know how to look after ourselves and we start caring for us rather than find, realizing or, or thinking what's wrong with us. It's, it's, now that we have to look after ourselves. Exactly. And I think, too, it really helps. The more you understand 
the mindset of sex addiction and porn addiction, the more you're able to disconnect the entire situation from yourself and understand that it has nothing to do with you and that it's not your fault, etc. that we will be saying that all the time because it's 100% not your fault. It's my fault. It wasn't Sandy's fault. It has nothing to do with us. And the more you are ed- educated in this area, the greater freedom you have to make clear decisions based on based on the knowledge you have, but also to protect yourself. And and as we stated in our first show, um, all kinds of research research shows that this type of addiction, porn and sex addiction, actually starts quite often, most for most, in adolescence, and and typically that's well before you even met your partner. And, right, mine uh, started when he was six. The most common ages is uh, between 8 and 12. Yeah. We mentioned that as well, too, last time. I think it's really important uh, to really, really drill that one home. 8 to 12 is the most common age range for this to begin. For my ex, it was 6, and for Sandy's, it was 14. 14. Yeah. So just because it doesn't fall right in the most common area, it's close, and it shows that it all started before they even knew we existed. And I would put all of my money on the fact that for all the listeners, it started before you too. Absolutely. And I'm just going to just add as an aside, if you have uh, younger children or teen children now, not later, now is the perfect time to educate them, educate yourself on these types of addictions and educate them on what it can do to, uh, and not that it changes the brain. It is not a disease. It is not that at all. It becomes a habit and any habit creates those pathways in the brain and any habit. So our morning routine is a habit. And, but it, it's about having those, um, uh, parental uh, blocks on the computers, and if your children, or, you know, young children have phones, making sure that there's nanny, the net nanny, or whatever it is on those phone, those devices as well, because it's so out there, and it's it's so right at everyone's fingertips, and uh, and it, it just, you know, it, it it you can you can have a hand in in educating. No, absolutely everyone. absolutely I do want to touch on uh, something you mentioned Sandy about changing the brain so um, there's many neurological studies that show that porn on the brain the same way that drugs do okay so the same parts of the brain are lighting up etc and what happens over time with habits of any kind but we are talking about porn and sex addiction habits is they basically dig trenches in your brain. There, there's a, a study actually was just posted on Fight the New Drug um, about porn addiction. And maybe, Allison, we can post that, uh, put that on our, our websites or our, you know, the Butterfly Nation, even on here. I don't know if we can do a, a link on Blog uh, Talk Radio, but maybe we can do a link in our Facebook pages and so on and so forth to, for people to see that actual study. That sounds great because there is some, there is some uh, uh, physiological change in the brain that does happen, but you have to understand everything in life changes your brain. Our brains yeah. are elastic and that's how it works, but it does change your brain and it does uh, 
it does send you down a different path of emotional maturity and development. Things don't happen that normally do in people um, growing in intimacy, um, understanding how to deal with the world, etc., is all blocked. But that's going to be a whole episode coming up later. We don't want to get too much into that right now. There is a lot of science behind this. Um, and a lot of really good studies have been done, like the one Sandy mentioned. So um, you'll be able to find that on my website, as well as all of my contact information. I'm at uh, thebutterflyhabit.com. And again, my name is Allison. And Sandy, why don't, why don't you give us your website as well? Absolutely. So I'm empoweringcounseling.ca. Uh, and uh, and um, I also have a component of empowering counseling is a, the empowered butterfly. And please just uh, look us up and, and I'll have a link to that, uh, that article as yeah, well. Yeah, so will I. Yeah, we'll, we'll post those for sure. So yeah. I just want to say too, before I get into this section of my story, I want to give the guest call-in number. Please give us a call. You can ask us anything you want. You can change your name, even change your voice. We, uh, we understand the, uh, the need for discretion and privacy entirely. Our phone number is 646 646- Seven eight seven eight five eight zero. Again, that's six four six seven eight seven eight five eight zero. And you know what? We'd love to hear from you at any time. Pick up the phone during this broadcast. If you'd like to reach either of us after the show, please. We both uh, gave our websites, and you can reach us through those. So today, like I said, we're going to be talking about what it was like when we found out. Um, it was. My entire life completely changed. What about you, Sandy? Would you say that's that's accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Every single that, thing. Having said that, a lot of my questions were answered. Wow. Okay. No. See, I didn't even have any questions. Well, I didn't. I, I quite honestly, um, it was over a few days that I, I shouldn't say questions. A lot of things made, made now made sense. Right, a which lot is of really good. Happened, rather than because you're right, I didn't have any questions either. I never thought this was even a possibility that this mm-hmm. was even a. Um, mm-hmm. But it after after I had absorbed it, things the puzzle pieces started coming together. And, right. Um, oh, not absolutely. Not that I will. Not that I'll ever have every piece of the puzzle. Not that we'll ever ever have any every piece of the puzzle. So we still don't know what the full picture would ever look like. Um, however, many of those pieces of the puzzle came together that, that I knew that I knew it had nothing to do with me. Yeah, absolutely. And nothing to do with our relationship. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm going to get into my story guys. So, so I hope that some of you will hear kind of reflections of yourself in this story, because the whole point of us being here again is we don't want anyone to think that they're alone. I don't want you, any of you to think they're crazy. I don't want any of you to believe that you are overreacting or anything like that. And that's why we're sharing these stories. They're very personal. They're very what would be considered private. But we're, we're in a no-shame zone here. And the reason is liberating all of us from this. So... Mine started, my my story with this, of course, started the day I met him, but the story with kind of realizing what was actually happening uh, started when I was sitting, I was sitting on my couch um, doing nothing, watching TV, and my ex-husband walked into the room and told me about this job that he might be taking that 
where he would be a live-in caregiver for someone else. And so I'm kind of, I start laughing and I, like, I, I don't really know how to take this because you like you're leaving. Okay. So, so then I joked and I was like, what, you're leaving me. And he said, I don't know. Did did that make sense to you, Allison, that he would be all of a sudden a living caregiver? Did did he yes. work in this field before? He worked in the field, and I knew that he wanted to make more money. And he also had been working part-time for years. So that was the frame that I was looking at it through. I was, I was, uh, I was not happy. But this was also split seconds before he said he might be leaving me. So I didn't really have time to process that whole what does this mean? Because all of a sudden he was considering leaving me. Um, I froze. I didn't really, I didn't really know. Even thinking about it now, you can hear by the way I'm talking, I kind of froze. I get kind of, I get a little bit, um, it's hard for me to put words together, um, which is a common reaction to trauma. So over the next couple days I I'd convinced him to not take the job well that's not true you can't convince anyone to do anything I'm going to take that back he he chose to not take the job that was a caregiver live-in position and instead he was going to stay and we were going to try to work out these uh problems in our marriage and he started telling me truths he started to be honest with me for the first time since I'd known him uh, the first thing that came out was that he was not attracted to me. Um, he was, he said, I was told uh, that it was hard to be attracted to someone who weighed more than him, which at the time I did. I mentioned last week that I had become quite, I became severely overweight. I, I've lost it now, but at the time, um, yeah, so what did that do to you, Allison, when, when you heard him say that? What, or what, how did you feel? What, how did that make you feel? I felt like I wasn't a woman. I felt like I was totally worth nothing, that I was a horrible wife, that I was a horrible example of a human being, that I had absolutely... He would, that he was absolutely right that I was gross and poor him. Like I felt very sorry for him and that it was all my fault for being ugly and for, um, for not being woman enough for him because he deserved that. And I wasn't giving that to him. I was also, we had kind of been, I'd been kind of ignoring him really. Um, and he had been ignoring me. We, we didn't really connect anymore. And so that was my fault as well. I figured because I should have made more of an effort. I felt I felt like not a woman. So you you took on a lot of the blame that this was all about uh, all you that all your fault. A hundred percent. And your self worth plummeted to zero. I had no self worth. It was actually to the point where um, I the the timeline gets a little bit fuzzy for me because when you're in trauma, time is kind of suspended and. And um, so I, I believe it was within the first week, but I can't be sure. Um, I actually told him that I would be okay with it if he went and slept with another woman because I felt so bad for robbing him of a sex life for so long. We had a sexless marriage mm-hmm. that, that I gave him permission to uh, to go find someone else. And 
that only lasted a few days before I, I said, you know what, I can't, I just can't do it. Like I just, all I did was sob. All I did, I sobbed. I, the pain was from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. I would lay on the ground in a heap, just sobbing because he didn't want me. That really sounds like a, a trauma reaction. What, what reaction you had sounds like a really a trauma reaction. What changed for you, Allison, that you, you had originally said, okay, go find someone else. And, and I, I can understand where that was coming from. That was the low self-worth and I'm not good enough. I'm not, something is wrong with me and you deserve better. You, des- you deserve to have sex. You deserve to have a woman in your life and I'm not that person. What happened over a course of those few days? I know you said about crying and on the floor and very much a trauma reaction. Um, but what made it change for you that, no, this isn't okay? There was there was some there was something in that that you were standing up for yourself. I the pain was so incredibly excruciating at just the thought of it happening. The pain I didn't eat, I didn't sleep, I didn't work. I I was I was in such a state of absolute decimation and devastation. I realized I can't, I just could not, I could not, I thought that if he did it, I would kill myself. And that's what, what made me change my mind. Now, bear in mind, at this point, I still didn't know that he was a sex addict or a porn addict, right. which is my opinion, by the way. He now, <clears throat> he now take, he took that back, you know, months later, we'll get into that later. But in my opinion, Okay. So I still didn't know that. I didn't know that this was a thing. I didn't know anything that I know now at this time. But I knew that if he slept with someone else, I would not, I thought that I would not be able to bear it. Now, I believe that he may have done that. And I still don't know about it. Um, But I, so that's what stopped me there, Sandy. And then, so there was, there was some time there that, um, that it was, it was, well, actually, I'm going to say I lived, I lived in hell for months, but, but this first, uh, this first part was, um, he came upstairs one day and I was sitting in the kitchen and he just came in and said, I'm hypersexual and left the room. And I thought that that meant that he was really horny, right? I didn't know. I'd never heard that word before. Um, so I didn't really, I mean, I was just in a state of shock anyway. So I just was like, okay, like, thanks for reminding me that you're really horny for, for other people. And he, he had started telling me that all he thinks about is sleeping with other women. Right. But he didn't have the, those same desires for you. Is that correct? correct. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'd like, not even, no. And I, I started trying. Like, I, all I wanted to do was have sex with him. Right. That's so the he only hyper, thing. He, so he said he was hypersexual, mm-hmm. but it was hypersexual for other people. Absolutely. And I, if I tried anything, he'd snap at me. Um, and I just, I wanted him to want me, but I'm going to get into that in a second. So um, I kind of started getting this nagging feeling and, and just like, you know, the voice in the back of your head, I was getting that voice and it was saying, um, is he a sex addict? Like, is he a sex addict? And bear in mind, I still don't know what that is or means, but something was telling me that. So I was on a smoke break at work 
and I decided to Google the word hypersexual. And hypersexual means sex addict. And so I found that out at work uh, on a smoke break. I found out that I was married to a sex addict. You can imagine there's, there's so much that went through my head at that time, but at the same time, I was a deer in headlights. So part of me was absolutely in shock and awe and numbed and couldn't move even. And the other part of me was entirely thinking, what have I done to this man? I am horrible. I am a horrible woman. What have I done? What have I done to him? Those are the two things that are happening in my head. And I had to pick myself back up off the ground, walk back into the office and try to pretend that nothing was wrong. Right. That must have been so incredibly difficult. <clears throat> that was finding out while you're at work and then having to go back and do your job. I think I just stood at my desk and stared at my computer, sorry, sat at my desk and stared at my computer with tears streaming down my face. I don't think, I don't really remember to be honest, my, my brain kind of shut down. I was in such a state because then I'm also thinking, what does this mean? What, what does that mean? How many people has he slept with? How many times has he cheated on me? Blah, blah, blah. Just the, the chatter inside my head would not stop. So that's when I started. Um, I went home that day and I sat him down and I said, this marriage is over. I, I know what hypersexual means. And I think that means you're a sex addict and this marriage is over. And he looked at me with those, ah, the, you know, the, 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 the perfected like Bambi eyes and said, what? So now I'm hopeless. And that switched me on a dime. I was ready to dive in. Let's, you know, let's get you some help. Let's, you know, let's do this. I believe in you. That's all it took. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had also he'd also been telling me that I was so after that after that kind of that came out. Then that's when I started learning. Porn started. Um, I was told that porn started when he was six and stuff like that. I'm not going to get too into his story. It is very very sad. Okay, and I have a lot of empathy for him and I have a lot of empathy for every person who's in a situation like he was in. Okay, that I want to be very clear about. I have no bitterness. I have no hatred. I'm very, very sad. But this this show is about us. This show is about the partner. So I'm going to I'm going to continue with my own story. So I was I was started being told that I was boring and that that one of the problems was that I do, did all the day-to-day stuff with him because that was so boring. And also, it was, it was troublesome to him that I knew who he was because he could be anyone he wanted to other women. Mm-hmm. So I went berserk trying to prove that I was the most fun, coolest, sexiest woman on the planet. So... I suggested that we went to the bar together so that I could show him how fun I was. And we went in and I saw this. These were some of the hardest nights of my, of my life. This whole time was, was, I don't even know what the word is, (laughs) but I, um, we went into the bar and we were meeting a friend and that friend had brought someone with him who I now actually believe maybe a prostitute. 
She's beautiful. And my ex stopped dead in his tracks on the way in that door and looked like he did not know what to do. His eyes were huge. He was in shock. He didn't know which way to turn. And his friend motioned to him to calm down with his hands. And then we went in. And we joined them. And the whole night, I will say, my ex, who I was draping myself all over, probably looked at me for a total of one minute. Um, he, I was following him around the bar, and, and it looked to me as though he was touching, like making a pathway for us to walk so that he could have the opportunity to touch women's waist. And I saw that happen over and over and over. That's what it looked like to me. And we went onto the dance floor and he looked, I was trying to dance like, you know, I was trying to get out like some stripper moves. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't looking at me. He was looking at everyone else. And then, um, but I, but I stayed trying to look like I was having a great time and I was being super fun and I was, you know, wrapping myself all around him. And he had a couple of other men come and tell him how lucky he was. And he would just laugh. Um, he, he, uh, we got in a cab to go to a hotel room with, with a few people. And he sat beside the woman I spoke of earlier instead of me. And I was, it was a van cab, so he and she were behind me, and I turned around, and he had his hand on her leg, and he was looking at me and smirking. And I, I ripped his hand off her leg. That was my auto reaction, and I didn't say anything. I just cried. Right. And um, I, I brought it up to him. We, we got home that night. I finally said, you know, we need to leave hours later. And um, he went and he crashed and I I stayed in the bathroom downstairs sobbing for about four hours straight. Mm -hmm. And I brought it up to him the next day and he told me that I was being crazy again. I was told that I was being crazy again. And then he finally admitted it and admitted that that was wrong. What was it like for you? That that moment of kind of impact, if you will, when you turned around and you saw his hand on her leg. Shock, disgust, anger. My heart broke, shattered. Disconnect. Spinning. Disbelief. I mean, every negative and sad emotion heart like my heart was my heart was shattered and then the look on his face that's where my anger came from i think cuz a little piece of me in the background was like how dare you how dare you but the rest of me was like this is my fault what have i done this is what I have to live with now. I'm going to understand this. I'm going to, I will, what I was trying to do, Sandy, was I was trying to be really supportive of him. And I wanted, I, I, I understood this was an addiction and I wanted to be there for him. And I wanted to be the woman that he loved and I wanted him to want me and I wanted him to want to get treatment and I wanted to help him and support him and get him to that place where he would want treatment. And, um, 
So that was just the first time we went to the bar. I went another time with him uh, the next weekend, I think. And that that time it was just the two of us. And and um, that night I was sexually assaulted by another man uh, who grabbed my breasts. He put his hand on my shirt and grabbed my breasts. And I went and I ran inside and I told my ex-husband and I was told that I should take it as a compliment. Oh, Allison, I am so yeah. sorry to hear that. I am so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. It was. You didn't it was that. You did not deserve that. No, no nobody. No. Nobody deserves nobody. that. Um, no, that exactly. Nobody deserves that. His his reaction was another form of abuse. So you were sexually assaulted, and then your partner's reaction was also emotional abuse. Yes. What was that like for you? I tried to agree and thought, well, somebody thinks I'm good looking then. Somebody likes my body. So maybe it is a compliment. And I tried to convince myself that that was a compliment, but it didn't work. Um, the next day he said he didn't know what to say and we dropped it. I think that he didn't know how to be supportive. Um, and I'm going to wrap up my story, but I do want to to uh, talk about one thing that made this, this was the shift before what we're going to be talking about next week, which is going to be the aftermath of, of discovery. The aftermath, knowing you, knowing everything, all of that kind of stuff. What is it like to live that stage? So he was saying at the beginning that someday he might get treatment he knew he needed help, um, stuff like that. And that was very encouraging to me. But then reactive abuse started happening, um, which was, I couldn't get this out of my mind. This is all I could think about. All I did was cry. And every time I started crying um, or even brought it up, he would tell me that I was abusing him by making him think about this all the time. And he just needed some space and needed some air to breathe. And I agreed with him. And so I stopped talking about it at that time. And then came the next stage, which we'll talk about next week. But I agreed with him, so I shut it down. And I stopped bringing up the topic for the most part. And again, what was that like for you? Because um, just when we shove down our emotions, when we shove down things internally, we we can become stuck at that point in time. And um, other negative emotions, such as anger and rage, um, and tremendous sadness may actually take its place when you know when we're when we're not processing these emotions. What was it like for you? Well, I continued to process those emotions. I did. I I continued to process them. I dove into. I love research. I love science. Um, I grabbed on to those two things because those were the things that I could trust. I knew that I couldn't trust my own past, my own perception, his, him, his, whatever he said, et cetera. So I dove into research and that's kind of how I ended up here. But I absolutely did not stifle what was going on inside of me. I just didn't discuss it with him. Right. So that was kind of how, how I, I navigated that was Mm -hmm. pretending that I was okay, pretending and wanting him to think that I was okay because I really 
didn't want to hurt him anymore. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to want to get help and to, to get excited about getting help. And, and, and I, so that was my true intention. I really, really, really thought that he, he would go for it, that he would see the light and make those changes for his life. So that's, that's me, Sandy. That's that little segment of my, my story. Um, now I want to hear yours because yours is quite, quite different than mine in a lot of ways and quite the same. And that's one thing we want to be clear to partners about. We're, there's a lot of differences in our stories, but there are some serious similarities in our stories that run through nearly all of them. So Sandy, um, why don't you tell us what it was like for you? Well, leading up to D-Day, which is Discovery Day, um, my uh, partner, my husband and I had been in marriage counseling for over two years and we had no zero intimacy in our relationship and that had been ongoing um, for several years of no intimacy and, and that includes no sex. Um, when I say no intimacy, we didn't even, we had stopped cuddling. We had stopped, you know, we used to always spoon in bed. We always were touching. Um, even if our backs were to one another. Go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering, Sandy, is, was that something that happened slowly over time? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't a, um, it, you just realized like, hey, we haven't done this in a while. Like what? And it was at first, you know, when he first rolled over, like put his back to me, it was that his back was bothering him. But then it just became a thing. And at mm-hmm. one point, you know, I said, well, why don't we switch sides of the bed? Because then if you need to lay on that side, then, uh, you know, then we can be facing one another. So we tried that and it, it didn't even last a full night. It lasted, um, maybe an hour, and he was on his other side with his back to me. Right. And so the switching the sides of the bed lasted maybe a week, and we went back to the other, the other side. Um, right. So that was telling me something, and I wasn't listening to my gut. In marriage counseling, it was because uh, he had said he didn't feel like a man. Uh, because of erectile dysfunction, and which I, we, you know, had put it down to medical, high blood pressure, you know, high cholesterol, medication he was on, you know, aging. Um, that's what I thought it was. He was seeing a urologist. So how did you find out the truth? Um, in finding a picture of he had taken of himself that he had sent to his online line lovers. Um, clearly showed that he had no issue. Wow. Clearly showed he had no issue. So how did you find that picture? I went through, this was a few weeks after, um, and he had went into treatment. Um, I'll I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that, if that's okay. I'm going to go back to just, you know, some of these things that were, were happening, um, and it was quite innocent finding out on D-Day. Um, I had a specialist appointment about uh, an hour, 45 minutes away, uh, and he offered to drive me because I didn't have any air conditioning in my vehicle, and it was a really hot summer day. And um, I had worked that morning, and anyway, we had head on down the highway and I had to pull off, pulled off in a gas station, uh, you know, a food place because I had to use the washroom. 
and he was always on his phone. His phone was always going off. So he stayed out with his truck, and when I came out, he was on the phone, uh, which wasn't surprising, but it ended up being his sister. And um, so he was talking to his sister, which is wonderful. And then she wanted to talk to me. So I started talking. So he handed me his phone, and I started talking to her, and I said, well, let's get back in your truck and head down the hideaway, so go to the doctor's appointment. And um, so I'm talking to her, and his phone was a little bit different than mine. So when I finished the conversation, I put it down in front of me to, to find the end button to end the call. And as soon as I hit the end button, at the exact same time, an email came through. That and I didn't see the body of the email. I just saw that it was for from Forbidden Fruit, and I won't give you the rest, but Forbidden Fruit, and I won't give you her name, but it, the subject line was Monday again. And my body just knew. I just knew. I just wow. knew he was having an affair. And so I looked at him, and I'm in shock. The phone is in my hand. And I looked at him and said, who is, and I said her name. And he goes, what? And he grabbed his phone with his right hand. He was driving on the highway, grabbed his phone with his right hand, and put it on his left side. And, of course, that's another sign, right? And right. I went, who the F is she? And that is not in the food business. Okay? Um, and he's in sales, and he can be anywhere at any point in time in the day. And he's got quite a, a large uh, driving distance that he could be. Anyway, and I said, what kind of forbidden fruit is she supplying your company? And he couldn't answer because it didn't make any sense. He knew. So there was no discussion. A couple of times he tried to reach for my hand, and it was like, don't even go to touch me. I'm shaking. I'm sobbing. Um, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. My heart was beating so incredibly fast. It I was going to come out of my chest. The specialist I was going to, I was having a test at the cardiologist. And uh, I thought, good thing I'm going to the cardiologist because if I go to have a heart attack, um, that's going to be, you know. Wow. Anyway. We got there, pulled in the parking lot. We were a few minutes early. I said to him, give me your phone. And he goes, no, it's bad. You can't see it. And I said, if you do not show me your phone, we're done. And he deleted the email. Wow. He got out and he deleted the email. And I said, that's it. We are done. And I got out of the vehicle and I started taking my stuff. And he says, no, no, don't, don't. Don't do this. Don't go. He said, I have a confession to make. And I went, no, Sherlock. Uh, and he told me that he had been having two online or online affairs with two different women from the States. We're in Canada, from the States. And I said, isn't it convenient? And they both lived in the same, same area, same state. And I said, isn't that convenient? And I said, here's your second chance, buddy. As soon as we get home, I'm going on your computer and you're going to give me your passwords because I had no passwords. And you're going to give me your passwords. And um, there's not going to be, you know, and he said, no, you cannot see it. It's very graphic. It's bad. It's dark. It's, it's, there's, it's too explicit. You can't see it. What are you thinking and feeling when he's saying these words? I I honestly I am in a state of shock. I am shaking like I could hardly walk. I was shaking so hard. And when he said no, I said I cannot ride in this vehicle with you. I cannot 
I cannot be, I don't know who he's in the vehicle, what he's done in the vehicle. I felt dirty. I felt tainted. I felt disgusting. I was disgusted with him, and I thought, who is this person? We've been together 33 years, married 30 years. Who is this person? We have children together. Um, I, it was, and, and grandchildren together. Who, who does that? You, you say that you love me, and if you love me, how can you go outside our marriage? And right. how can you make me feel that it's my fault? Because in marriage counseling, he said he doesn't feel like a man, but also he resented me for how much time I spent doing my schoolwork. And that because I had completed my master's in 2014. Um, I started in By the way, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank You're you. amazing. Thanks. And um, I, it, uh, it was a dream. Uh, doing my master's, I couldn't figure out why he resented me. He encouraged me to do it. And, and it was after years of being ill and using a power wheelchair and only working part-time in my field. But I was better now. I was, getting, I was out of my chair. And it was, oh, I can apply for my master's. I can do this. I can work full-time. For the first time in, in four, almost 15 years, I can go back to work full-time. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I can do this. I can do something that I love, that I have a passion for, and he can, he can get out of high-pressure sales. I can carry things. He can either retire or, or find something not as stressful. I thought I was doing it. Yes, I wanted my master's. Hands down, I was doing my master's for me. But I also was doing it for him and for us. There was just as much for him as for me. And I was slapped with when he told me he resented me for doing how much time. And I felt slapped in the face. So is that, was, did you feel slapped in the face on D-Day as well? Like what did oh, it? Oh, yes. Right? Oh, yes. I, it, I actually, I felt not slapped in the face. I felt that I had been plummeted into a dark hole that I will never, ever get out of. Because my whole world turned upside down. Absolutely. My whole world. And now I started second-guessing everything. It was like, I can't. So I told him I couldn't. I ended up calling our son who was was coming home um, because it ended up that day was our granddaughter's birthday, her sixth birthday. And... Um, and I just said to my son, I need you to come and pick me up. And he said, why can't you go home with that? And I just said, it's bad, and I can't tell you. Um, it's not for me to tell you. It's just bad, and I, I just need you. I can't ride in his truck. I can't be with him right now. And he said, okay, Mom, where are you? And I couldn't tell him. I couldn't even describe to him where I was. He knew the city that I was going to. So he said, Mom, can you get to the mall there? And I said, I'll find a way. He said, because I can't pick you up where you are because I don't know where you are. And I said, and I don't know where I am either. Wow. I can't tell you. I was so in trauma. 
So Absolutely. Please, so I said, okay, so I just grabbed my stuff, and I went into the building, and I said to the receptionist, I don't know if you're going to be able, if I'm going to be able to do this test. And I just said, I just found out my husband is having affairs. And she took me from the main, she wouldn't, I didn't have to stay in the main waiting area, into a back waiting area. And um, she had the technician come out to me and said, actually, it's okay, we can still do the test. And as the technician is saying that, I see his truck driving out. So he didn't even stay to make sure that I got to the mall safely. It was a hot, humid day for me. I thought I was going to walk, and the technician goes, you're not walking. It's going to take you a couple of hours. She goes, I'll call you a cab. But I thought he would stay and just because I wouldn't get back in the vehicle, but just to make sure. The person that I knew to be my husband would have stayed. He was not that person. I don't wow. know who he was and obviously hadn't been for several years. And um, anyway, um, I had the test. The cab was right there waiting for me when I got out. I got to the mall. I got to my son, and he just held me. And he knew what happened because he was supposed to be meeting our daughter and our granddaughter to go to a movie. And when he called, said to our daughter, he can't watch the movie, he had to come get me, our daughter called my husband and said, what is happening? And my husband told her. And so um, therein lies, that's how our children found out. And my son and I didn't talk about it. And I just said we were supposed to go back to my house because my granddaughter's cake was in our fridge. And we were supposed to pick it up to take it to the restaurant to the dinner. And I said, if he's there, I can't go in. So our son did. My son did. He went in, but he couldn't even look at his dad. And I feel so bad. I feel so bad that, yes, my son was an adult in his you know, later 20s. I just felt so bad for him that he was in the midst. And then I had to go to this restaurant for my granddaughter, who's my precious birthday, and pretend everything was okay. And I couldn't eat. I just ordered a small garden salad because I knew it was the cheapest thing I could order because I knew I wouldn't eat. And I thought, as I sat there, just don't be sick. Just don't be sick. Just don't be sick. And and I thought, busy yourself. You know, I help cut up their food. You know, my grandsons, I just talked to my grandchildren. I had to honestly ignore everyone else and just focus on my grandchildren. I just kept my head down. I had to go to the bathroom about three different times because I couldn't control the tears. And I couldn't do that in front of my grandchildren. So at that time, you're already starting to experience the shattering effects. Of, of finding this out because I think um, it, it's every single, you said, you mentioned before, every single part of your life has now changed. I'm wondering, you did you, were you thinking anything about sex addiction at this time or were you just thinking he's had just, I'm not minimizing that, I'm sorry, but were you thinking he's had a few affairs? At this time, I'm thinking he's had a few affairs. It was the next day when I realized um, because what what happened was I had made him give me 
he, he so that night when we went home, actually, I wouldn't look at him. I just went up and uh, went, because now this is the first time I'm in my home. And I went and I took my pillow and I got another blanket and I went over to what was our grandchildren's room. And uh, there was no way I was staying in that bedroom with him. And, um, and he had wanted to talk to me and my son came up and I said, absolutely not. I can't even look at him. I'm going to throw up. I'm disgusted. I just, so my son talked to him a little bit. Um, but my son came up and just sat with me and he went down and made me a cup of tea and he just brought the tea and he said, mom, you haven't had anything you need to, to drink. And I took a few sips for my son and it was all I could do to keep them down. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't, it was in the middle of the night. I got up at three. I, I didn't, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep all night. And I got up at three and thought, I'm going to go make myself a tea and I took, went to find some Tylenol and um, I couldn't, I just, but his computer and his phone, computer was still on the table and his phone was on the counter and I took both of them and I hid them in the nursery. And I thought, I've got to try to break in them. And I couldn't because he had them all password protected. And um, the very next day I demanded password and uh, he got up and he went to work. Um, bear in mind, there's all kinds of things happening. We had, Our house was sold, so we were trying to start packing. Um, we were building a brand new house, and we had to meet, like, supposed to meet with the builder. Um, there was all kinds of things that were happening. We were supposed to meet with the lawyer. Um, we, like, there was just everything. Um, but he went to work. Uh, I just, I, I just laid in bed and I started doing research and I realized that this is what it was, that he had a porn and sex addiction. And what was that moment of realization like for you? Part of it was, how are we ever going to combat this? How are, how, like, how am I ever going to stay with him? How am I ever going to bear in mind at this point, I'm thinking there's two women, okay, two online affairs, okay? That night, I found out that there was actually multiple. He just said multiple. He didn't say how many. And... That night, I told him I would never sleep in our bed again because I didn't know if any woman had ever been there. But it was also a four-poster bed, and I had hated it from the get-go. But he had to have it because his thing is bondage. And I hated it. And I said, I'll never sleep in that bed ever again. I hated it. Um, on the, on, that was the Wednesday. I found out that was Thursday. Friday, and, and I, Friday, I found out um, my son and I, I, I had, I had put, um, I had some money aside that was saved actually for his birthday. And anyway, and I wanted my son to take me to the bank because I knew I was no shape to drive still. And I opened a bank account in my own name and I put that money in my bank account because I thought if I have to find a place to live, I need first and last month's rent. And and from that moment, is this is going to be about me. This is going to be about me because it's obviously been about him. And then, wow, the that was, day, yeah, when we came home, 
that afternoon, he had taken the bed to the dump. He kept the Brock Springer mattress to stay at home, sleep on, but he had taken the bed to the dump. And um, he took, he said some other things, but I found out he actually, his all his toys, if you will, ropes and stuff, he said he took to a dumpster by his work. I don't know. I don't know if he actually did or if he just put them in his office. I, my gut says he kept them. So you it said, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exa- exactly, unfortunately. So just so, on the Saturday morning, sorry, I'm just, just on the Saturday morning, I, again, hadn't slept, and I was out on our back deck, and when he got up, he came and he joined me. And uh, I said I needed to know more. I needed to have emails, and I needed, that's when he gave me his passwords. Um, and I found a few things, but he had already shut down his secret email, so he was Forbidden Fellow. Um, and so Forbidden Fellow was dealing with Forbidden Fruit. Um, and I went to his other email, and I had that email, and I found just a couple of things, but actually he had our son shut it down, and so they were both shut down, so I couldn't access them. So I didn't find things through there, but it was his regular email that I didn't have a password for. But he had things hidden under under a, ma- a male's name, and I just went through every file, and I found thousands of thousands of pictures, uh, things, jokes people had sent him, just very graphic, but also emails. And in the course of two weeks, I found um, a total of 12 different women that he had conversed with in two-week period. Um, and then, so then he said it was dozens. He told me it was dozens. And How did anyway, that, I, was that registering as you were going or were you in a state of, state of shock or shock, how was that? Shock, shock. That, and, and how long it was going on and, what, you know, um, how long it was going on and had been going on and the whole time we were marriage counseling it was going on the whole time and um, and never any of it came out and then so he left because I had said I needed him to go and so he left and when he ended up coming back and when he came back his face was almost purple and he was sobbing and he said, I have one more confession to make and that's telling me my, and our son was there. My son never left my side and our, and he told in front of our son that he had had two in-person affairs and he said one was only one time and the other one was twice, but then that came that it was actually four times. Eventually, I found out it was four, but it doesn't matter the number of times. It doesn't matter the number of people um, because, again, that was the within three days. Over the course of several months, I found out more and more things. Uh, I found out that he actually has an STI. Lifelong. Well, that's – what's an STI? Any, sorry, what's an STI, Sandy? Sexual transmitted infection. Used to thank be disease, infection. Okay, thank um, you. And that he gave it to me. Wow. Um, and then at the end of January, we're still together because I was in my head thinking, thinking that, okay, if it if if it's this addiction, can 
you know, can I help him? Can Mm -hmm. I help him? Can he get help? Can we be the way we were before? And Mm -hmm. from what I was reading that it actually, we could even be better. We could be closer. We could, and it's like, okay, can we do this? Is he really, does he really want to change? And, you know, can, does he want to stop? Does he want me? Does he want me? And now I knew why. And there was some relief in this. That it wasn't that he didn't want me. He can't see me in bondage. Because I hated it. And he knew I hated it. So he didn't want. It wasn't that he didn't want me. It was that he wanted bondage more. Right. Right. So I thought if he could get help. Maybe. Maybe our 33 years together. You know, we won't break our family. We could still be Nana and Papa. We could still be husband and wife, and maybe we would be closer. And uh, it's not meant to be. Yeah. The pull is too hard, too much. He found that he needed to be more assertive. And he was very controlling, 100% in the bedroom. 100% 100% with our investments, 100% with large purchases. And I allowed that. I allowed that because I thought that's the way a relationship went. Mm-hmm. And in healing me and working on me, I realized it's not. You're right. You're absolutely right, Sandy. It's not. And We each put in, it's not 50-50. He does this, I do that. It's 100-100. You Absolutely. And, yep, there's maybe some things that your partner is stronger in. And, Kay, for him, looking after the cars was one thing. And I mm-hmm. was stronger in cooking, so I did the cooking. Mm-hmm. It, you, you but there is a balance there. There's a balance. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in this, in this, the silver lining, and maybe one day I'll thank him. Not right now. Not right now. I don't want anything to do with him. But maybe one day I'll thank him because I'm for giving me this gift of finding me. That's exactly and where I am. Me because, yeah. Woo. Because, yeah, I needed to find me and I deserve Absolutely. To find me. And without this past, Sandy, we wouldn't be where we are at all. And that's what I've come to believe myself. I'm grateful that this happened for, for me because I, I've never been this fulfilled, happy in my life. I've never understood my own values as well as I do now. And I think it's really interesting that you, you mentioned um, that, you know, about the STI and more things that you found out. And I want to talk about that's going to be actually our next episode, the aftermath, because you don't find everything out in the very beginning. Things keep trickling out, and the things you find out are so incredibly messed up. Um, You keep getting side or sucker punched. It's like um, over time. So we're going to talk about that and and what the kind of relationship dynamics were like during those times. That's going to be our next episode for sure. And Sandy, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. It's it's. I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad everyone here that's listening is listening and we value all of you. We love all of you and you are absolutely worth everything. So. And it's empowerment, right? It's done. That's the, that's the 
empowerment piece and that absolutely no no listeners your life is not over your life is not over it's traumatic it's deep it's dark absolutely surround yourself with friends so we'll see you next time thank you so much for listening and we look forward to hearing from you <laughs>